Welcome to the Anxious Voyage. If you think that title sounds bleak or foreboding, one of two things must be true. You're very lucky or you need to get out more. On this program, we share stories of life and living. We compare notes. We discover commonalities. We accept that life is a glorious, heartbreaking thing, and we embrace and celebrate all of it. Take the ride with us. We're glad you're here. Now, here's your host, Mark O'Brien. Hello again and welcome. We are, as always, glad you're here. And as always, we're coming to you from World Headquarters in Middletown, Connecticut, home, as you almost surely know, of the annual Spring Poison Ivy Festival, um, which, thank goodness, is not quite here yet. Um, I'm joined today by a gentleman that I've known for a while, um, but I'm always happy to get him to get to know him, sorry, better. Um, so please welcome Phil Williams. And Phil, I am... So happy you're here with me today. Mark, it is a pleasure. And when uh, you reached out to me, there was absolutely no hesitation. And I'm glad to be here. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. And I will do my level best not to make you sorry for that decision. <laughs> There's no infidelity at all going on here. So we're good. Okay. Um, I, I, I want to start by saying um, three things that I believe... I know to be true of you. Uh, the first is that from what I understand, um, in your younger life, perhaps much like me, uh, you were probably not the best student in the world. And yet, now you are a PhD candidate, um, which might actually be an entire show in itself. Um, a second thing that I know about you is that you are a man of faith. I admire that tremendously. And I believe that is connected to the third thing I know about you, which is that you are the survivor of a life-threatening life illness or disease. Yes. Um, so maybe we can take those things in that order. Um, okay. how, how is it? that a man who starts out not being a terrific student ends up being a PhD candidate? <laughs> that, that's a very powerful question, um, Mark. And, 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 and I think it's important for a little backdrop to, to let the audience know not being a great student. And in, in the Deep South, even though people don't say Florida was or is the Deep South, it is as far of a state on the continent or, or, or in the United States of, of the lower 48 that you can go. And so in Florida, there was this thing called um, truancy. There were truancy officers that if, if you didn't attend school, then your parents would have that huge responsibility of, of getting in trouble, whatever that meant as far as, as getting in trouble. And, and in, my, in my home, Although my mother, I believe how it was reported to me that she only finished the sixth grade, my mother, much to her credit and what she had to deal with and how she knew how to do it, she didn't necessarily push me to be a better student. And so I went through my whole 
I guess you could say academic career in the public school system, in my opinion, being a mediocre student. And then all of a sudden, Mark, I graduate from high school, had no desires to go to college, but I knew that I could do one thing that I thought I could be good at, and that was to get out into the market and go to work. So I raised my hand and my very first job was at a company that's now out of business, um, but it was Sears Roebuck and Company. Yeah. And out of all of the departments, I was put into the hardware department. And I still laugh at that because I don't, I can't tell you anything about hardware uh, <laughs> with the exception of, I tried to be the best salesperson that I could. I use the word salesperson because by trade, I now I am an HR professional. And so I like to use inclusive language. So in, in, in that time span that I was with um, Sears, I was successful in what I did with them. And I moved on to a bank, which is now known um, as Bank of America. But I also worked for a large brokerage company called Merrill Lynch, which was purchased by Bank of America. And so I knew from that perspective that I could be successful. I, I rose to the level of being a vice president of operations and human resources with um, Merrill Lynch in the space of the Pacific Northwest region. And it was at that point where I realized that I wanted to pivot my career, but I also knew that I, I, had, I didn't have, in my opinion, the right credentials to do what I wanted to do. So... And stepping away from Merrill, I decided now is the perfect time to go back to school. And, and at the beginning, I have to tell you, there was that intrepidation of not being a good student in the public school system. It was, it was a little unnerving. However, I graduated with a 3.37, no, 3.52 in my undergrad and then in the master's program, it was 3.37. So there was this, this, I think there was this perhaps unconscious plan to better myself. And I thought having credentials to do what I wanted to do to pivot my career would be, I got to do this. And so I have to tell you, I was minding my own business after I graduated with my master's from Villanova University, yay Villanova. And um, I was okay. I thought, this is it, school, I don't need to do anything else. And minding my own business one day, watching one of my favorite old shows called Bewitched, I heard this very still small voice that said, okay, it's time to register. And I thought, wait a minute, we, I just finished this master's program and I clearly heard God say to me, this is where I say to you, when I tell you to do something, you question it that goes back to that scripture of obedience is better than sacrifice. And I just, I, it was just, I had to do this. And so here I am now in my second year, um, no, going, in, yeah, going into my second year as a PhD student and I have another year and a half to go. And that's sort of where I landed with this education piece. It was going from, not it, it not being important. It wasn't a high priority in my life in public school to now where having a GPA of 4.0 is just 
it's that's important to me to have. And so I've been successful in my classes thus far. And so I, I don't know if I pat myself on the back, but I do. But I also thank God for being able to, to not only learn, but be able to transfer that learning into the space, even from a consulting standpoint. So that's, that's where I am from an education standpoint. I don't know if that answers your question. Well, yes, it does. And, uh, and actually it leads, um, brilliantly to some others. But first, I want to mention to you, it, it's because of that sort of calling. That's exactly why I don't watch Bewitched. Uh, <laughs> I, have, I, I have no idea what it might compel me to do. <laughs> uh, um, my first point of curiosity is, how, how, how or why does one go from selling nuts and bolts to the financial industry? How did, how did that parlay? I don't have the answer. I will say this to you. After a, I guess, eight months to a year, was I comfortable with what I was doing? No, I wasn't comfortable. I knew that it was a good fit for the organization, but department-wise, I, I knew that this is not, this is not for me because... <laughs> my hero, my brother, who has since passed away. I think he did this on purpose, Mark. When you buy Craftsman tools, you know, there's that lifetime guarantee. If they <laughs> break, you can bring them back. Yep. I sometimes believed my brother artists would intentionally break them and bring them back to see if we would honor that. But nonetheless, um, after I think about eight months to a year in hardware, there was an opportunity in Sears with their credit department and I, I raised my hand and that was my first introduction, my first real introduction to financial services within a retail business. And my role in the credit department was to take in deposits to, to cover customer payments. And if customers needed to, um, I guess, maybe cash checks, you know, we did those kind of things as long as there was a relationship with with Sears. And I would tell you, that's how I got to that space when it comes to financial services. I, I just, I knew that hardware was not the space for me. And financial services is like, this is someplace where I feel very comfortable. And, and, and perhaps it has everything to do, Mark, with, with trust, with integrity, with ethics, uh, with all of the things that I love to believe that I possess in a way that there's this natural feel to it. So it, it was really the sky was the limit after financial services with Sears, there was the bank and then with Merrill Lynch and I spent 23 years with Merrill Lynch. I, I, um, I believe, and, and maybe I believe it because it seems to be true of me, but, but, but I believe, um, we recognize things that have turned out to be our path in, in hindsight. When you had that opportunity at Sears to move from selling hardware in, into uh, credit, did that, feel, did that feel like a path? Yes, it did. Um, it felt like a path <laughs> in, in, in a couple of ways. The first way was... I don't, and I don't know that it was a matter 
that I was drawn to physical money more so than I was drawn to a space that had a great level of trust and integrity that was involved. Mm. And because I, I imagine you probably know in any kind of financial service space that there are employees, there's this issue of being able to be bonded in the case that some, you know, you steal or, or anything like that. And so I think knowing all of that was, it just, it drew me in further. And I would even go so far as to tell you that one of my neighbors um, said to, I think it was to my brother, said, hey, you know, there were some investigators here asking about your brother. And he said, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, yeah, they wanted to know what kind of person he was, more or less the character. Because once you get into that space, at least at that time with Sears, there was some, I guess, some investigations that were done to ensure that yes, you could be bonded and there wouldn't be any issues um, with that. So I think, Mark, and maybe not so much again as the physical money because I didn't really get into paper money and coins until I got to the bank. But the fact that somebody thought it was important enough to reach out to my neighbors and to people that I know to ask about my character. And so that I had some, some internal value for me to be able to say, yeah, this is the right thing for me because this is who I am. You know, when it comes to integrity, when it comes to being truthful about things and when it comes to um, that level of people having trust in me, all of those things were then as they are now important. Um, this is a little bit of a tangent, um, but you said a few minutes ago that your brother was your hero. Yes. Would would you mind sharing how and why your brother was your hero? So to 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 give you some you know the backstory with that, my my mother had three sons, and I was the youngest of the three. My oldest brother, Artis, was sixteen years older than me, and you know my my cousins and people that I guess maybe they were joking that said, "Oh, you were a mistake." And my response is, no, I wasn't a mistake. I was my mother's heart's desire. And so here I am. But my brother, my brother, being 16 years older, he when he, I just remember when I was, when I was a little person, my brother, of course, 16 years older, and he, you know, went on dates. I felt that I should go with him. And my <laughs> mother said, no, 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 no. You can't, you can't do this um, with your brother. And but every Saturday, Mark, every Saturday after a Friday night date, there would always be this waxed paper bag on the on the um, dining room table, and it had three glazed donuts every single time. And I don't know if that was my brother's way of saying, I'm sorry, but it sure tastes good, if, in, if nothing else. And so with all of that being said, this is someone that I looked up to that I just admired everything about him. He, he was a Marine and I would try to um, mimic some of the things that he did. My brother was this huge um, men's cologne fanatic. I mean, his dresser was just like, 
you know, these, and I could, I can't tell you what any of the names were. I just knew that they smelled good. And my brother always uh -huh. had a crease in all of his pants. Every pair of slacks that he owned, even blue jeans, they all had a crease in them. And those are the things that I paid attention to. And those are the things that make me realize that this person was my hero, his character, the way that he treated people. There wasn't anyone that I could ever imagine or even remember where my brother, if they reached out to him and asked him to help them, he would do it. And he would do it in such a way that he he had this awesome sense of humor about him. And, you know, people just knew artists when they saw him. That's That was my brother. And so that being my hero, knowing knowing all of those things, those those really important qualities about an individual. He's the one in my mind that possesses them. And he was my hero. Still is my hero. I think about him often. You 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 said um you also said a moment ago that you were your uh mother's heart's desire. What yes. what what I hear you describing when you're talking about artists are the seeds of the integrity and the respect that you now recognize in yourself. Oh, absolutely. Without any question, there is no doubt in my mind that the those seeds that you mentioned, integrity, trust, that those are the things that I saw in my brother. And, you know, I, I can't tell you, Mark, in all of the years that my brother and I were together before he passed away, that we ever had an argument. We didn't, I can't think of anything that we disagreed about. And if we did, we, we kept it to ourselves in the sense that it wasn't so big that it did something to our relationship. I don't regret any moment, not one minute that I spent with my brother, even in his latter years, when he was diagnosed with dementia. I, I just don't, I can't think of any time that we were in such stark disagreement. It was just never there. Uh, speaking for myself, I can't imagine that I would ever disagree with or get in an argument with anybody who brought me a bag of donuts after every one of his dates. <laughs> um, I don't know if he'd be my hero, but he'd certainly be my pal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was. He was my pal. He was my hero. You know, he was also a father figure. Um, he was just so many things that as my brother got older and as I got to a place where I could express myself more and be comfortable with myself in what it was that I said, I remember telling him, you are my hero. And my brother looked at me with this it wasn't a grimace. It it wasn't a look of confusion. He and he didn't say anything. And I knew the impact of that statement to him um, was more than than he ever expected. Number one from me, but it was more than enough um, for him to to be okay with what I said. My brother was not an emotional person. He wasn't touchy feely, or he didn't hug that just not that that wasn't who he was but i also knew and I'm, i just used my least favorite word but i also knew that i could say things to my brother and he could hear me 
more so than I think that he could hear some other people in our family. So we had this unbreakable bond and this relationship that there was nothing that that could really change that. Um, I, I just want to say something about that, and then we're going to take our first break. One, what I just heard tells me how much he thought of you and how much he, even as a 16 years younger brother, revered you. And, and, and I also believe that people as humble as your brother had to have been struggle with, with expressions like that. I'm, I'm not sure that humble people really know how to take that. Yeah, I, I often wonder too, Mark, if this was a factor. Uh, you know, my mother, uh, born 1926, that was a silent generation. And I don't know, because they were much older, I don't know if she was touchy-feely with them as much as she was with me. Mm. <laughs> and because there were sometimes it's like, oh, get away. But that was my mother. Um, so I don't know if he grew up around that to really know the power within belonging, the power within touching, the power within just simply hugging somebody and saying, I love you. Yeah. I. Well, we could make another whole conversation about that. Um, but I want to come back and pick up on something that I meant to ask you earlier about education. So we'll okay. take this first break. We'll be back in three minutes. Uh, radio, YouTube land, keep it where it is. Everybody has a story. Everyone's story deserves to be told. And the only bad stories are the ones we don't share. That's why Mark O'Brien created The Anxious Voyage. It's Mark's conviction that every story deserves to be shared. And his purpose is to give people in all walks of life from any circumstances a chance to tell their stories. The Anxious Voyage is now on syndicated Dream Vision 7 radio network every Monday at 1 a.m. and 1 p.m. Eastern Time with live broadcast every first and third Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Please tune in, please join Mark, and please share your stories. Ever wonder what it's like to have your own radio show? Well, wonder no longer, because you can dip into the radio airwaves by being host for the day on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. It's a fabulous way to get your radio feet wet. It's an opportunity to market your business, modality, or book. Have a guest, mention a sponsor, and take callers. Or you may want to facilitate a lesson by going solo. It's up to you. Listeners can be online, mobile, in cars with Bluetooth, or listen through Amazon's Echo by asking Alexa, play Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. For more details, go to DreamVision7Radio.com and click on Host for the Day. You can't establish your brand's authority without a voice. That's why since 2004, O'Brien Communications Group, OCG, has been helping companies establish their authority, find their brands, distinct voices, and position their brands effectively and persuasively. So effectively that nine of OCG's clients have been acquired by other companies. OCG's business model emphasizes efficiency and results, not hourly billing, markups, and media commissions. That ensures OCG's advice is unbiased and its clients aren't at financial risk. If you're ready to find your voice and use it to tell your story, OCG is ready to help. You can find O'Brien Communications Group on the web at O'BrienCG.com. 
That's O-B-R-I-E-N-C-G.com. Or call 860-944-9022. Calling all authors. Have you been considering an audiobook? Well, look no further. Come take advantage of DreamVision 7 Radio Network's unique in-house audiobook production, which includes benefits and bonuses from our radio station. Let our knowledgeable staff guide you to create the audiobook you've always dreamed of without breaking the bank. Check out our full one-stop service from A to Z, including the ACX process. Schedule a free consultation by calling 508-226-1723. That's 508-226-1723. Or go to dreamvision7radio.com. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for being here and for coming back to be with Phil Williams and me. Um, Phil, we were talking in the first segment of, uh, a little bit about your education. Um, you you may or may not know that I was uh, a, a late a late blooming college student, um, and I found uh, two things uh, that I needed to go back. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, I needed to start because I had uh, an intellectual curiosity. I had no idea if if going to school was going to do anything for me professionally, mm-hmm. but I did have that intellectual curiosity. And I also found when I got there that I was much hungrier to, to learn than I even expected to be. Was your experience anything like that? Yes, absolutely. And not only was the experience in learning, I am an, an extrovert. And being an extrovert, being around people, is important to me. And in the master's program, <clears throat> we had, even though it was online, we had to get on camera, we had to have microphones and and, and speakers because we had to participate in every session. And, and most of my classes was on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I remember my employment law professor very, very vividly saying to me, well, Phil Williams, you haven't said anything tonight. And I said, okay. She goes, normally you have something to say, but you haven't said anything tonight. You are aware that I do take off points when you don't talk. And I thought, okay. So that kind of encouraged me, Mark, to to continue to have dialogue. Here's the thing about that program for me. We had to work in teams and on team projects. And I know some people don't like that idea, but for me, it was important because I I walked away from that experience. Now I am in touch with, or I keep in touch with at least two or three alumni students now because of how that connection happened in the master's program. And so for me, it was more than just the desire and the hunger to learn as it is now in, in the PhD program, but it's getting to know people and and being in relationship with people, which is really important for me. And probably as you picked up, even as I was talking about 
my brother and even my mother, just being in relationship with people is such a, a huge thing for me. It's connection. I, one of my friends, um, Ginger Johnson says, it's the connecting juice. And so it is, it's a connector for me. And I absolutely love being in relationship with people. Hmm. Um, I, I was, uh, I was in a conversation over the weekend and we, we were, we were talking about things like that. And I, and it was a writing workshop to be, to be candid. So it was absolutely a learning experience, but, but I asked in the workshop, the same question I'm going to ask you right now, when it comes, when it comes to learning and when it comes to things that I'll refer to as schoolwork, do you feel less pressure about that now than you might have as let let's say uh, a high school student? Oh yes, absolutely. And I have to tell you, one of the reasons I don't feel a lot of pressure is in a PhD program. There's no testing. I don't like multiple choice questions. Mm -hmm. I don't like multiple choice tests. And so for now in this PhD program, there is a lot of reading and a lot of writing, and I get the opportunity to not only take in what I'm reading, but be able to express it in a way that is, that's a good fit for me. Yes, I have to use some academic language, you know, to, to, to do the writing. And, and of course, with, you've got to have references and you've got to cite the information. So it's really paraphrasing throughout the whole process. But even in that paraphrasing, some of Phil Williams gets put into every document that I create. So there is, the, the only pressure that I feel now is to make sure that I have a complete understanding of what the assignment is asking of me. And I'll tell you one real quick story where that is concerned. Now we were talking about, in this one particular class, we were talking about strategy versus um, strategic planning. And what I what I knew and what was solidified for me was strategic planning really is not strategic planning. It's it's creating a list of things to do. But when it comes to strategy, any leader should know and every organization should do is strategize so that they are the best at whatever it is that they do. So if you are a, a bank or even if you are a, a, a local grocery store in a small neighborhood. Be the best at what you can do, and that takes a lot of strategizing to do. So I take in so much, and I just I, I work at making sure that there is this transfer of learning. I I um I had the experience in the uh very first very first literature course I ever took that sort of felt like chicken and egg. And what I what I was not able to discern at that time was was the professor pulling something out of me, or was he enabling me to reveal it to myself? And when you were talking about that work you just do, I was thinking about discipline and the research that goes into the work you have to do and the studying and the footnoting and everything else. And you already shared that you, you don't take that to be a source of pressure. It, do you do you feel like you're um, acquiring an affinity for that discipline, or do you think it was already in you? 
I think there's a little of both. The reason I think that it was already in me is acquiring knowledge, if I can, if I can say it that way. You know, when I, when I first started with Sears Credit Department, you know, I, I wanted to know what those footnotes were about. I wanted to know mm. what those different codes meant and how was this going to have an impact on the customer. And so that was a learning experience. And so now in this PhD program, that that foundational piece, I think, was already there. And so having this particular or this specific academic experience is just really helping, I think I want to say it this way, is helping that to blossom. I think you probably, I don't know if you do any gardening. Wow. I don't have a green thumb, but I, one, of my, one of my first cousins loved plants and I watched her buy these seeds and then watch them grow. But they they did that because she had to do something because she was she would make sure that they were watered as often as they needed to be. So there was a process for her. And so I think at least for me and perhaps for you, there is that process, whether it was something that was already in you and then you you get to a place where then what's already in you gets pulled out from a by a professor or gets pulled out by an experience. I think it's something that already has to be there. There's something foundational about you know again planting a seed and, and watering it. But even with that seed, there's something inside of that seed that's just waiting to blossom. And so I think for me, from that perspective, where it comes to my academic career, that's really what it's been. It's been, as they say, the size of a mustard seed and it got planted and watered. And I had something to do um, with all of that. I, I had to put some energy and some time into it to make it blossom and flourish to the where it is right now. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know if I noticeably flinched when you asked, <clears throat> excuse me, the question about gardening, but uh, I, I'm not sure if Anne, my wife, is listening. Um, <laughs> so I will tell you that Anne, Anne loves gardening, um, and she will get me out to do some begrudgingly. Um, but but I will admit, and I really hope she's not listening, um, I enjoy it when she makes me get out there and do it. Um, so um, I, I, I want to shift gears a little bit because I've, I've learned from doing this show long enough that an hour just flies by okay. um <clears throat> i i know from being in other conversations with you that the illness from which you suffered uh was called stephen johnson syndrome mm -hmm. and i and i would like you to to describe that and i also want to ask you about this you said we were in a group discussion one day and you said that one of the things that that experience taught you was that you were not who you thought you really were. So if you if yes. you could tell us what that disease or condition was about, why you thought that, and then I promised at the beginning that we would connect this to your faith. How, how yes. and why you come to characterize yourself as a designated survivor, and I love that, by the way. So... Stevens Johnson syndrome, for your listeners, is a very rare 
skin disorder that generally happens to a person if you are allergic to a specific medication. In my case, I am allergic to penicillin and sulfa. I didn't know it that at the time because in, in earlier in life, I suffered bronchitis and it was treated with penicillin. And so I just thought nothing of it when I was asked the question about my bronchitis issue this time, you know, can I take penicillin? And I, I didn't flinch one bit. I said, sure, yes. And about a week, maybe two weeks into the dosage, my niece said to me, uncle, you have these, your welts on your neck. And, and, and I guess that's maybe the psychosomatic piece, perhaps. Then I started itching. And mm. the whole ordeal, uh, Mark, is it's painful. It smells awful. And yes, you can bleed from it. And most of my bleeding was in the mouth because mm. there was this layer of skin that I guess you could say my skin was sloughing from my flesh. So it was peeling away. And I remember being in the hospital and they needed to change the linens. And the sheets actually stuck to me. And as I got up off of the bed, I heard a nurse say, oh, my God, his skin is on the sheets. And it, that's just what happens. Your skin sloths. It, it pulls away from your flesh. As I said, it's painful. It does not smell good. You, you're not an attractive person when it happens. <laughs> um, and I spent 21 days in an ICU burn unit. Um, down in Tampa, Florida, uh, at Tampa General Hospital. And I, 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 I have to tell you, the nurses there, they absolutely love what they do because I cannot think of a day in those 21 days that I had an issue with anybody on staff. And they were absolutely amazing. So that was my, my Stevens Johnson um, story. And, and, and what I figured out and what I learned through that process that... I wasn't who I who I really thought I was then. And 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 as you probably know, in in any kind of corporate experience, you you take on what what you do. And I was a vice president, as I said, and so that was my persona. That was who I was. That was part of my character that had foundations, foundational values of trust and honesty and, and all of the things that I mentioned before. But in this illness, what I discovered was, dude, none of that is really important. What is important is who you are as a person and who you are as a person, number one, is that you are a believer. You believe God with your whole heart. And granted, there are some things in the Bible that are, that are, are, probably not that pleasing to a whole lot of people. And there are some things in it that uh, are designed really to make us think and, and to, to prick us in some kind of way to, to say, yes, this is, this is what the word says. And are you living up to that? And in some cases, I know that I wasn't, I knew that I wasn't. And I can't sit here and tell you that I'm all of that in a bag of chips right now. 
because what I try really hard to do is to not let God down in my behavior. So what I learned through that process was I am, I am an image of God and he made me in his image and in making me in his image, then everything that comes with that in the sense of, you know, personality, um, sense of humor, because God has a sense of humor. He has a personality. And so I found out through that whole process that I am not the person that I thought I was and I'm okay with that. And so who I am now is really part of, you know, my character, um, my beliefs, how I behave, how I show up. Uh, I remember my very first location, a relocation with Merrill Lynch. And I, I kind of casually mentioned this earlier. My pastor said to me, keep your life up. Don't let God down in your behavior. I will never forget that. And so I try really hard to make sure that my behavior is acceptable and that my behavior feels good for me. It may not feel good for other people, and I'm not sitting here in judgment of other people because we all have to do what we have to do. So, leading to the to the designated survivor, could, as you probably, I'm, I'm sorry, Phil. Could could we just take our break right here? Sure, absolutely. Okay, because I know where you're headed, and I want to connect that to one more thing. So it's just the perfect spot. Absolutely, sounds good. All right, thank you. Three minutes. We'll be right back. Are you ready for the quantum age? Humanity's next step in evolution? Dream Vision 7 Radio Network invites you to the extraordinary platform of evolutionary voices for the quantum age. Let's explore. Learn more about this upcoming age where we bridge science with spirituality. Where potentiality meets reality. Where we take compassion into action. Our trailblazers and visionaries will ask the whys, the what ifs, while igniting continuous possibility. Come along with us into an age beyond what we know today, where we can grow together in unity consciousness. Experience evolutionary voices for the quantum age, Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on DreamVision7Radio.com. You can't establish your brand's authority without a voice. That's why since 2004, O'Brien Communications Group, OCG, has been helping companies establish their authority, find their brand's distinct voices, and position their brands effectively and persuasively. So effectively that nine of OCG's clients have been acquired by other companies. OCG's business model emphasizes efficiency and results, not hourly billing, markups, and media commissions. That ensures OCG's advice is unbiased and its clients aren't at financial risk. If you're ready to find your voice and use it to tell your story, OCG is ready to help. You can find O'Brien Communications Group on the web at O'BrienCG.com. That's O-B-R-I-E-N-C-G.com. Or call 860-944-9022. Calling all authors. Have you been considering an audiobook? Well, look no further. Come take advantage of DreamVision 7 Radio Network's unique in-house audiobook production, which includes benefits and bonuses from our radio station. Let our knowledgeable staff guide you to create the audiobook you've always dreamed of without breaking the bank. 
Check out our full one-stop service from A to Z, including the ACX process. Schedule a free consultation by calling 508-226-1723. That's 508-226-1723. Or go to dreamvision7radio.com. Everybody has a story. Everyone's story deserves to be told. And the only bad stories are the ones we don't share. That's why Mark O'Brien created The Anxious Voyage. It's Mark's conviction that every story deserves to be shared. And his purpose is to give people in all walks of life from any circumstances a chance to tell their stories. The Anxious Voyage is now on syndicated Dream Vision 7 radio network every Monday at 1 a.m. and 1 p.m. Eastern Time with live broadcast every first and third Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Please tune in, please join Mark, and please share your stories. This is Dream Vision 7 radio network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow. Welcome back. Uh, and Phil, thank you for uh, indulging me in that interruption. Um, you were about to describe how and why you come to characterize yourself as a designated survivor. So there are two prongs to that. Let me share um, the, something foundational to being called a designated survivor. As you may or may not know, and, and for your listeners, um, whenever all of the, the heads of the government are in one location, and I'll say at the Capitol, for instance, if there's going to be a State of the Union address, there's always one person that the president uh, designate one person from his cabinet that is considered the designated survivor in the case there's a mass casualty. The mass casualty in my case is my mother and all of my siblings are no longer with us. Mm -hmm. um, they've all passed away. And so I look at myself or I feel like I'm the only one and that I've been the one designated to survive for probably a number of reasons. Number one, there's there's so much, I think, in each of our stories that we get the opportunity to share that may impact someone else's life. Number two, I get the opportunity to talk about my siblings and my mother and what an impact they made on my life. Uh, number three, as I do every morning, uh, Mark, when I get up, I am so grateful that <laughs> I know what my social security number is. I know my home address, my telephone number, all of those things that tell me I'm still clothed in my right mind. And so those things to me are part of being a designated survivor because I can think of plenty of times when, or even with this Stevens-Johnson syndrome, I remember being, I don't know, I won't say that I was comatose, but I know I was half out of my mind. But I remember my brother asking the doctor about survival rate. And he said, I generally don't see people walk out of here after Stevens Johnson. So we're talking 70-30. And I'm thinking to myself as I heard that, I got to get out of here. I've got to <laughs> survive this because I don't want I don't want to exit this way. I mean, when you're in a room, Mark, and you're you're plugged into machines and you hear these 
this beeping and you can't even get up to go to the bathroom by yourself. You can't even get out of bed. You think, is this the way it's going to end? And I just, I was really just determined not for my life to end that way. So those are the reasons that I call myself a designated survivor in my family, because beyond my cousins and nieces and nephews, uh, immediate family for me, I'm it, this is it. And um, so I don't know if I want to say that I'm a prodigal son. I don't know if I want to give myself some biblical title. <laughs> I know there is a show called Designated Survivor. I've never watched it before. Um, I just know that my experience has been, you know, with this illness and with so many things that has happened in my life. And just to see my parents and my siblings go before me, that has really been an eye opener. It's been traumatic at times. And even now, when I think about it, um, it's, it's pretty emotional for me. I'm, I'm quite sure it is. Um, I, I want to share something with you. Mm -hmm. um, you and I participate in a group discussion on Thursday mornings at 1130 called the Friendship Bench. Yes. And, and some months ago, I want to think it was probably October, um, I invited a gentleman to join us. His name is John Tejada. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have to make a secret of that because he's been on this show. Um, you can go on the Dream Vision 7 YouTube channel. You can go to the page for my show and look in the archives. You can go on YouTube and search The Anxious Voyage, and you'll find the channel that I created there. Uh, John um, was convicted of a sexual assault and went to prison for two years. I and, and and is now about eight years into a 10-year probation. And he has written a manuscript for a book. We had a conversation just this morning with a publisher. Uh, the book is called Searching for Redemption. That's his working title. You said to him, and I don't remember this. I mean, I don't know if you remember this. You said to him, may I speak to you like a brother? And he said, oh, yes. yeah. And you said to him, you are already saved. Mm -hmm. And you may not know that, but your job is to forgive yourself and to know that you've already been redeemed. I take from that, you were fulfilling your role as a, de as a designated survivor. And I will also tell you this, John disappeared from October until about two weeks ago, because he didn't want to put any of the specifics of his crime in his book, but he mm -hmm. has changed his mind. He's come back and he wants to make a clean breast of the entire thing. Um, I'm, I'm just going to say you, whether you know it or not, anybody else recognizes it or not, you had a hand in that. I'm absolutely wow. positive. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I do remember the story. I do remember him coming to our session. And I remember saying something very similar to that. And I, I won't deny what you just said was what I said, because I, I sometimes I have to share with you when that comes from my soul, from my spirit, it's out there. For whatever reason, Mark, I don't remember 
my exact words. And a really good friend of mine said, then that, that is evidence that what you're saying and what you're doing with people, that it's not about you for you to get any recognition. It's about the person that you're talking to. And so thank you for sharing that with me. I, again, I remember him. I remember the story. I don't remember exactly what I said. So thank you for sharing that with me. Um, you, you can call it something else if you like, my friend, but what you just expressed is humility. And I firmly believe that you made, wow, dare I say, a soul connection with John. Yeah. That you're right. It wasn't, it wasn't at all about you. And I, and I also have to say, um, and, and we're about to wrap up here, you are the quietest, most thoughtful introvert, I'm sorry, extrovert <laughs> that I've ever known. Um, I, I would not say, oh, yeah, extroverts, Phil Williams. Um, but but I grant that you are, and I've I've had the the opportunity, the gift of recognizing uh, the way you connect with people, and um, I love that. If people would like to connect with you, I think you do some HR consulting, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I do. Um, they can connect with me uh, via LinkedIn, and okay. I'm there as Philip T. Williams, and I'd be glad to talk to anybody connect with anybody. I want you to know that if you reach out and connect with me and you want to be a part of my LinkedIn network, I don't like that word, but part of my LinkedIn connection. If you don't tell me why you want to connect with me, I'm going to ask you the question, why do you want to connect? So just be prepared um, to tell me why. And if not, I'm going to ask why. In, in, in other words, you would like people to be as extroverted as you are. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I realize that not everyone can do that. I understand that. Uh, and one of my good friends calls me an extra extrovert. What I do, Mark, and to, to kind of give you a real understanding, what I do with that in my quietness and being humble is it's a sponge. I'm, I'm taking you in and what you're saying right now, because I, I don't want to be that untimely person in your presence saying something to you that makes absolutely no sense. I want you to be able to walk away with what I shared with you that is something that you can apply in your life um, for whatever time period that it works for you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm thoughtful in that way. I, I'm going to share this with you. I, I debated whether I would, but I will. You, you, you were recounting uh, some conversation. I think it was one you were having with yourself. And you referred to yourself as dude. Yes. And there was a point earlier in this conversation where you were saying something, and I had a revelation about that. And I was going to say, dude, come on. <laughs> I didn't do it because I respect you so much that I wouldn't just refer to you as dude or, or dismiss you in that way. Well, I, I, I have to tell you, because you and I have a relationship, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have felt dismissive. As a matter of fact, it would have probably been, would have been more of a term of endearment because we have a relationship. A stranger on the street <laughs> might come across a little differently, uh, but because we have a relationship, I call myself dude sometimes. So I don't take myself that serious because what I realize is there are other designated survivors behind me, in front of me, and on the side of me. And I'm not the king of anything. 
and certainly not the master of even my own life. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I use that phrase, dude. Sometimes, like I, I talk about my my alter ego, Hank, who is <laughs> nice until he's not Hank, until he's not nice. And when he's not nice, he's protecting me. And so I just use dude as, as a way to, to be um, familiar with people and to let people know that I don't take myself that seriously. Bill Williams, thank you very much. Your friendship is uh, a blessing to me. I, Same I thank, here, my friend. I thank you for being here. I thank all of you who watched or listened to this program today. Um, I will be back, surprisingly enough, next Monday, and we're going to have a slightly bigger gathering. So we hope to see you then. And again, Phil, thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for tuning into The Anxious Voyage, the program dedicated to sharing stories, helping people, and celebrating life. You can see and listen to The Anxious Voyage on syndicated Dream Vision 7 radio network every Monday at 1 a.m. and 1 p.m. Eastern Time, with live broadcast every first and third Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern. If you have a story to tell or if you know someone who does, please email the host, Mark O'Brien, at mark at O'BrienCG.com. In the meantime, please remember, the only bad stories are the ones we don't share. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow.